Today on Blue 58, now that most of the NFL Combine testing is over, we can start diving into previewing positions in the NFL draft. So why not go straight for one of the deepest positions in this year's draft, wide receiver? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about in this show So I think we should get right down to it. But first, I want to give a plug for something that we've got going on right now. We're starting voting, or we've started voting, actually, um, for the Blue 58 Book Club. I have put a post up at thepowersweep.com about what book you think we should read if you are interested in participating in this year's off-season book club. There are four choices up there, all dealing with either NFL history, Packers history, uh, tactics and, and watching games and stuff like that. I think it's a diverse selection and uh, would be interested in your feedback. So that is either at thepowersweep.com or in your show notes. You can check out the poll there. So give that a look there too. So if you're interested in participating, vote in that poll. If you're not interested in participating, don't worry about it. Um, we will try to keep uh, keep that to its own section of the podcast when we once we start doing that. Before we dive into wide receivers, we've got a little bit of a news news situation to catch up on, too. Um, I'm not really sure what to make of the free agent news that trickled out over the first few days of the Combine. The Packers have been linked already to a few relatively high-profile free agents. Uh, Rob Domovsky says the Packers are going or planning to make a run at Austin Hooper, the tight end from the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Tom Silverstein and Jim Ozarski of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel say they're going to go for Joe Schobert, the linebacker out of Cleveland. Bill Huber, formerly of Packer Report, now of Sports Illustrated, says they're going to go after Corey Littleton, the, the linebacker out of Los Angeles. And to the extent that you consider him a reporter, Aaron Nagler of Cheesehead TV uh, says the Packers are going to be in on Nick Kwiatkowski. Here's what I know about the NFL Combine. There are a bunch of agents there, and there are a bunch of NFL reporters there. And they mix. And when those two groups mix together, information gets out. Because it is advantageous to the agents to have that information go out because it drums up interest in their clients. If an agent, say of Joe Schobert, can make it seem like multiple teams are interested in his client services, that only serves to make his client, and therefore him, more money, right? Agents are not ignorant to the fact that the Packers need linebackers and a tight end. And as it so happens, the Packers have now been linked to three of the biggest names on the free agent market in terms of linebackers, and now the biggest name on the free agent market in terms of tight ends. Surprised? You probably shouldn't be. There may be varying degrees of merit to any of these reports. Maybe they're all true. Maybe the Packers really are going to take a a run at whatever top-end linebacker they can get, as well as the top tight end of the market. That may be true. But consider the other possibilities here, too. There are more parties interested in this transaction than just the Packers. And I'm not talking about the other teams, though they do play a factor here, too. Agents are trying to get their guy signed as well for as much money as possible. And getting the Packers connected with uh, with positions where they definitely have needs is one way to do that. I'm still skeptical of the idea of spending a lot of money on a tight end again. 
It's probably going to be a top of market deal, probably in the 10 to $12 million a year range for Hooper at the very least, and probably in that same ballpark at least for the linebackers. Maybe Kwiatkowski is a little bit less than that, who knows, but it's going to be expensive. I'm skeptical of that idea. I'm probably more receptive to Austin Hooper than I used to be, having learned a little bit more about him. But still, just the idea that they're going to dive into that tight end market, again, having hopefully ended, just ended, the Jimmy Graham experiment, uh, that's just a little bit hard to believe. Take it all with a grain of salt. We'll see how it sorts out. we got a couple weeks here before free agency really gets rolling. Wide receivers. It was downright exciting last week to watch the wide receivers test at the Combine. This is not only one of the deeper receiving groups in recent memory, it's one of the more athletic too. Big guys, fast guys, strong guys. If you like it from a wide receiver, you can find it in this group. And chances are the Packers will be drafting a couple of them next month. What ones are worth drafting? Or for our purposes, what ones are worth talking about? We've been working through a three-pronged strategy sort of manifesto over the past couple of podcast episodes, and let's refresh ourselves on what that three-pronged strategy for evaluating players is. You've got combine testing, you've got college production, and you've got film work and or scouting. The first two things are things we can collect and evaluate on our own. We know that the Packers generally like athletic wide receivers, guys that have high athletic testing numbers, high relative athletic scores. So we should have some guidelines that are going to identify some of the most athletic receivers in the draft for us. There are also some stats that can help us identify wide receivers that are likely to succeed in the NFL. We talked about some of those stats last week, and I've done some more research and added to that uh, some of those stats combine athleticism and production. Overall, I've got six metrics for us to look at at wide receiver. Relative athletic score we talked about last time, so I'm not going to recap that here. Basically, just a single number that that um, encapsulates how athletic you are relative to your positional peers. Height-adjusted speed score is your speed score, a number that measures how quickly you move the mass that you have. This one is adjusted for your height. That's important because the Packers like tall wide receivers. I've added in team target percentage, how many of the passes your team threw in total, um, this one measures how many of those they threw to you as a percentage. I figure guys that got a lot of attention in college were productive for a reason, and this is going to help weed out guys who are just the pure athletic testing product. So it's, it's one thing if you can jump high and run really fast and stuff. We want guys who are actually involved in their offense in college. Catch percentage, how often guys caught passes thrown their way. Duh, you want guys who catch the ball. Yards per target, you want guys who are doing more than just turning around two yards downfield and catching the ball. The final new one is wide receiver OPS. This is a replacement for marginal efficiency. That's one that we talked about in last week's podcast related to wide receivers. The data on that is not as widely available as I thought it was going to be, but this one I trust and I think it's pretty reliable. It was developed by Paul Noonan of Acme Packing Company, a colleague of mine over there. It's the first it's the football version of on base percentage plus slugging percentage, that, that metric used in baseball, OPS. Basically it's a way to combine how often a guy catches the ball for how far down the field he's doing it. So if you look at 
catch rate, as on-base percentage, and how far down the field you're going as slugging percentage, those are roughly the correlations to baseball. This is kind of the football version of that. And it does have a pretty high correlation to how guys actually end up doing in the NFL. So Paul doing some great work there. We'll incorporate his work into our evaluation of the players who are available to be drafted. Now, this is not all the players who play wide receiver that are going to be in the draft. This is just the 56 who are at the combine. We don't have data for many of the others yet. And really, as we talked about last time, I'm a little bit skeptical of non-combine athletic data anyway. So let's just start with the 56 wide receivers who tested at the combine. I collected the top 20 in each of these six categories. Then I pared down that list based on who appeared in multiple categories. I figured that guys who appear in more of these lists are better prospects. A dozen players appeared in four or more of those six categories. So I figured we'd talk about those dozen players in order of the categories in which they appear. Late today, literally about an hour before I sat down to start recording, I also had an idea. I thought we should wait where guys appeared in these categories. So it's more valuable, obviously, if a guy is the best in terms of yards per target as opposed to being the 20th best in the class. I think that that makes just intuitive sense, right? So I gave points for where you fell in each of these categories. First in the category is worth 20 points, second is 19, and so on. I totaled up where the guys ranked, and I share, I'll share that as we go along because you should know where these guys are ranking out of, out of the overall total. Finally, we'll wrap up by giving you the five or so guys that I think the Packers should be most interested in. Sound good? Good. There was one player, exactly one player, who appeared in the top 20 in all six of these categories, and you would never guess who it was. Devin Duvernay out of Texas. Okay, so we got a weird one here right off the bat. He is the only player of the 66 or 56 wide receivers who tested it at the NFL Combine this year who landed in the top 20 of each of the categories we looked at. And he is an interesting prospect. I think there's a lot to like about him. He was productive and athletic in college. He's got an 8-2-4 relative athletic score, considered to be pretty good after the catch. Uh, Check out this line from Lance Zerline of NFL.com. Quote, he runs like he hates humanity as he blasts through tacklers, end quote. A lot to like there, obviously. And he has a pretty prototypical slot build that the Packers could use. He's five foot ten, about two hundred pounds. That's not too shabby. He also does a little bit of kick returning too. There is some stuff that is not to like about Mr. Duvernay, though. He is smaller than the Packers typically target, so keep that in mind as a bit of a red flag. His yards after the catch numbers are also pretty high, but that probably also makes him a little bit more look a little bit more productive uh, productive than he actually is. So take his numbers with a bit of a grain of salt too. He's also not said to be a precise route runner. This is where we also have to give you the caveat of where he shows up in our overall rankings, too. He is the only receiver that showed up in all six of the categories we looked at, but he just totaled 57 points. That's good for fourth best among the 56 receivers we looked at, so bear that in mind. Moving on to receivers that appeared in five of our categories, we start with Justin Jefferson of LSU. Jefferson was the number two overall prospect in terms of total points among the the categories that we looked at. 
He was Dane Brugler's of the Athletics, Dane Brugler's sixth best wide receiver prior to the combine. He currently ranks 16th out of all prospects on ESPN's Big Boar. Out of the metrics that we looked at, the only one in which he did not rank in the top 20 was team target percentage. So he ranked just a little bit outside the top 20 in that metric. So he did not get as many targets within his team system as he as he could have. That said, he still got a huge amount of targets at LSU, 134 last year. So it's not like he wasn't productive. And there's a lot to like about Justin Jefferson. He's a big, fast, athletic guy, six foot one, two hundred seven at the combine. Was listed taller at LSU, six foot three. Ran a four four three in the forty yard dash, faster than people thought he would run. Overall, a nine point eight four relative athletic score. Again, insanely productive, even with the caveat that he played in a spread system. One hundred eleven catches, one thousand five hundred forty yards, eighteen touchdowns. Played a little bit in the slot, even as a bigger receiver. And he caught almost 83% of the passes thrown to him in 2019. Now, people will knock him for having a spread offense background. There's nothing he can do about it. He produced in the offense in which he played. That doesn't bother me a whole lot, though I will point it out when people when people talk about it. He's also said that it's also said that he does not have a lot of experience playing against press coverage. That is something that almost all receivers struggle with. Uh, coming out of college. Again, not a huge deal. It just is going to to be a question of how quickly he can react. The athleticism question is going to persist because though he tested well at the combine, he's one of the guys that they they say did not always show up athletically in games. Your mileage may vary there. That's a tough one to really put, put a fine figure on. Next up in this same category is Henry Ruggs the third out of Alabama. He was Dane Brugler's third best receiver prior to the combine, 11th overall on ESPN's big board. He was Pro Football Focus's fourth wide receiver. And in our total points metric, he ranks third. He put up 72 points, so just behind Justin Jefferson. He kind of gets the same knock as Jefferson. He did not have a ton of his team targets, but he did play at Alabama where they had like 14 great receivers this year. So again, not a huge problem there. A lot to like about him too. If you talk about fast receivers, it doesn't get much faster than them, than than Ruggs. 4-2-7 in the 40 at the combine. Everything about his game requires attention from the defense. He was used as both both a runner and receiver. In his 12.86 yards per target, were fourth among the receivers who tested at the combine. That is not bad at all. Not to like, though, a bit smaller than the Packers prefer, prefer at 5'11 and 188 pounds. And he does deal with the t- typical problems that come with that size. He struggles to beat some press man, but if he gets off that press man, good luck catching up with him. Again, 427 speed. Another player that appeared in five of our categories was Antonio Gibson, and he's especially notable for a couple reasons. First, he ranked first overall in our total points. He had 75 points, more than Justin Jefferson, more than Henry Ruggs. He appeared in five categories and stuffed the stat sheet in just about all of them. However, he was not ranked by Dane Brugler in his pre-combine wide receiver rankings was not ranked by Pro Football Focus either. And there's a reason for that. ESPN has him as their 13th best running back in the draft. Bit of a weird prospect here. 
I think there's some to like about Antonio Gibson's game. I'm not sure if he's a fit for the Packers, but he's an interesting prospect. Big-bodied slot receiver type. Six foot one, 221 pounds. That's big for a rookie wide receiver. And you can see why people want to look him at, look at him as a running back, even though he wasn't really a full-time running back at Memphis. For comparison to his six foot one, 221 pound measurements, James Jones was 6'1", 208. D'Angelo Yancey, who a lot of people compared to James Jones, another Packers draft pick, was 6'1", 228. Gibson moves his mass really well. He had the second best speed score among all the receivers that we looked at. His height adjusted speed score was also second among all the receivers we looked at. He also had the second highest yards per target among receivers at the combine with 13.125. There are some significant questions here though. I think there's good reason to be skeptical of guys who are kind of gadget prospects in college and figuring out what positions he plays, what position I guess he plays in the NFL could still be a challenge. I will say that NFL teams should be more creative and should learn to be more creative with guys like this. And I think there's evidence to to believe that Matt LaFleur could be more creative than, with a guy like this than, than perhaps Mike McCarthy would have been. But I think it is still a reasonable concern to have if a college team didn't know what you were. Now, Memphis basically just played him as a receiver People want to talk about him as a running back because he may technically have been one at one point at Memphis, but he didn't run the ball all that much, and he still put up big-time receiver numbers. So you decide for yourself what he is exactly. The Packers, I think, are going to have a hard time picking a pure slot receiver given the needs that they have just at the position in general, but Gibson uh, does a lot of things well, and uh he's probably going to be a good value for somebody towards like the third or fourth round, uh, wherever he ends up. Sticking with receivers in the five category, category, I guess, uh, perhaps the biggest, most polished name of all, CeeDee Lamb out of Oklahoma. He is Dane Brugler's number one receiver, ESPN's number two, and Pro Football Focus's number two receiver. Again, some of those are pre-combine measurements or combine rankings. He got knocked around a little bit in our numbers uh, for his height adjusted speed score. He didn't run very fast for his height, though we should point out that a 4.5 in the 40 or a 6 foot 2 measurement aren't bad at all. Neither of those are bad. So you can you can live with either of those times. There is a ton to like about what Lamb does. He produces big play after big play despite his heavy heavy air quotes here limitations with his speed. He had the highest yards per target among the 56 receivers we looked at. Sure, you can knock that he played in a spread system at Oklahoma, but there's only so much that you can credit to scheme. At a certain point, 21.4 yards per catch can't be schemed. You're just a good player at a certain point, and Lamb is a good player. He was athletic at Oklahoma without needing to have game-breaking speed, and I think that kind of game ages really well. Devontae Adams is that kind of player, and he's just gotten better the longer he's been in the league. He doesn't have to be a track star to beat players, even even beating people deep. He beats them deep by beating them at the line of scrimmage, and that's a great skill set to have. Lamb is the same sort of broad strokes player as that. He doesn't have to beat you with blazing speed. He can beat you other ways. He also has a good vertical, good broad jump, explosive, uh, can probably create spe- separation that way. He is going to face the red flag of playing in a spread offense. That's not a red flag for me for reasons I've explained, but people will bring it up with him. 
there are debates over how precise his route running was at Oklahoma. Again, that I think that traces back to the scheme issues there. Sometimes in a spread offense, you don't have to run precise routes. And maybe he just didn't run routes that were as precise as they could have been because he didn't have to. I think those are pretty mild objections for a guy that was as productive as he was. Next, we've got to move on to our group of players that appeared in four of our six categories, starting with Tyree Cleveland out of Florida. He was not ranked by Dane Brugler or Pro Football Focus. He is ESPN's 37th wide receiver. He appears on our list mostly because of his athleticism, and he is athletic. He is an athlete among athletes. His relative athletic score ranks seventh among the 56 receivers we looked at, 39.5 inch vertical. He has good size, 6'2, 209, but he did not produce pretty much at all, despite all that otherworldly athleticism. Only 25 catches, 351 yards, and a touchdown his last year at Florida only managed to collect 7.8% of his team's targets. Very much a developmental prospect. So I think if you're looking for guys that the Packers are going to draft and get immediate impact out, Cleveland would not be one of them. Michael Pittman out of USC is a guy who might be able to contribute right off the bat, though. He was Dane Brugler's 10th wide receiver, ESPN's 10th currently, and Pro Football Focus's 9th overall receiver prior to the combine. If you like big wide receivers, Michael Pittman is the guy for you. Six foot four, 223 pounds, not crazy fast, but good overall athleticism and reliable hands. He caught 74% of the passes thrown his way last season. There is the caveat that he played as a bit of like a possession wide receiver type, so maybe not making big plays down the field, but you need guys who can move the chains too. However, it's fair to ask, I think, whether the Packers would need another Alan Lazard type, even if he's a really good Alan Lazard. I want a plus version of a guy that I've already got, and I wonder if Pittman is that. However, Among the receivers we looked at, he did put up quite a few points. He had 56 points, uh, ranking high in all the categories in which he placed. So he does it with athleticism. He does it with production. There's a lot to like here too. Moving on to a name who's popped up on a lot of drafts connected to the Packers already, mock drafts that is, uh, Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State. He's ESPN's number seven wide receiver, pro football focuses, seventh ranked wide receiver as well. Pretty good athlete, 4-5 in the 40, 8.62 relative athletic score, prototypical slot type build, six foot tall, 205 pounds, and productive too. Fifth overall in yards per target among the receivers we looked at. A good athlete though, not a great athlete, but I think that's really the only serious red flag here that at least that I can identify. He pretty much just is what he is. Do you want a thick-ish, not blazing fast slot receiver who's going to be reliable uh, and chew up some yards? Ayuk might be your guy. I'm not sure that's exactly what the Packers should be looking for at wide receiver in the draft, but someone will probably get a pretty good receiver there. Moving along, Antonio Gandy-Golden out of Liberty is ESPN's number 23 wide receiver, and he ranks uh, 13th among the receivers we looked at, 36 total points. Uh, He looks like a guy who should be just an otherworldly athlete. Got good size and speed on the field. Testing is a little bit not quite as good. 
4-6 in the 40 at the Combine, but he did it at 223 pounds, so a little bit less of a red flag than it could be. His 104.7 speed score is still quite passable. He racked up quite a few catches for Liberty. 31.8% of his team's targets went to him in 2019. You don't like the 40-yard dash rate, and you also don't like the fact that he only caught about 55% of the, the passes thrown his direction. That ranked 10th from the bottom among players who tested at the Combine. Not great. Um, We didn't have stats on some of those guys because some of them came in from real small schools and and didn't have reliable numbers. But among players we did have target numbers on, uh, Gandy Golden was was 10th from the bottom. So not great there. I think this is probably a guy who's going to get a miss from me. Next up on our list of receivers is Quez Watkins out of Southern Miss, home of Brett Favre. He's ESPN's 27th ranked wide receiver. If you like fast receivers, you like Mr. Watkins. Ran 4.35 in the 40-yard dash. Not too bad. Also pretty productive. 11.3 yards per target in his final season with the Golden Eagles. However, as productive as he was, he was not that productive. He only caught just a shade under 62% of the targets thrown in his direction and only managed 9.5 yards per target, too. He's a slot type, but not a great one. Kind of the flip side of that is Tyler Johnson out of Minnesota, ESPN's number 31 ranked receiver. If you like productive receivers, you like Tyler Johnson. He had 38% of the Golden Gophers targets last year, and he caught 71% of them for an average of 10.89 yards per target. Not too bad. Big problem with Johnson is that we don't have testing numbers on him yet. So uh, whatever production he did have, we still have to see what he does um, in testing situations. Now, you don't get to be that productive without having some sort of athleticism that probably translates pretty well to to testing circumstances. But we don't have those numbers just yet, so we'll have to, to keep an eye out for that in the meantime. However, he was so productive and ranked so highly in our production-specific numbers that we looked at that overall, in terms of total points, he ranked seventh among all 56 receivers that we looked at. That's pretty impressive. And uh, I would just keep that name in the back of your your mind. We don't have numbers on him yet, don't have a 40-yard dash and, and stuff like that. But if you're looking for guys who just put up big numbers in college, Johnson could be could be your type. Finally, fig- finishing out our list of players who finished in the in the top 20 in at least four of our categories is Jerry Judy. And just because of the order we went in, he he ends up last year, but he shouldn't be last on anybody's list because he was Dane Brugler's pre-combine number two wide receiver. He is ESPN's current number one receiving prospect and Pro Football Focus's number one prospect as well. What's to like about Jerry Judy? Almost literally everything. He was consistent at Alabama, caught 70% of his targets. He was productive even among uh, the the wild receiving group they had there. He had 77 catches for more than 1,100 yards, 10 touchdowns. Good route runner. Not an overwhelming athlete, but 4.45 in the 40 is okay, I think, at his height and weight. Again, he's he's going to be another guy who wins by doing things well as opposed to doing them athletically. I don't have a lot else to say about him because he just seems to be that good of a prospect. So let's move on. Let's say some things about some other wide receivers. Other noteworthy receivers. These are guys who maybe only showed up in two or three of the categories, but they're, they're names that I've seen pop up. 
So we should talk about him just for a second. Got five guys here real quickly, then I'll get on to my list of players I'd actually like to see the Packers draft. So first and foremost, Chase Claypool, the what-is-he receiver tight end guy out of Notre Dame. Tested as a wide receiver at the Combine and may be the single most athletic player in the draft. He had a perfect 10 relative athletic score, according to Kent Lee Platt, only decimal points worse than Calvin Johnson. Anytime you're being mentioned close to Calvin Johnson, I think uh, you're in pretty good company, unless it's some sort of sentence that goes like, he is nowhere near as athletic as Calvin Johnson. Um, But according to these numbers, at least, Claypool is at least in the same universe or ballpark as Calvin Johnson, which is a pretty good place to be. However, however, there is reason to be concerned about his catching of the football. He only caught 55% of his targets last year, and when he did catch the ball, it didn't go for very many yards. only averaged 8.7 yards per target. Denzel Mims out of Baylor is kind of the skinny version of Chase Claypool. They had almost identical stats. I mean, eerily similar. Chase Claypool had 119 targets, caught 66 of them for 1,037 yards and 13 touchdowns. Mims had 117 targets, caught 66 for 1,020 yards, and 12 touchdowns. 17 yards and a touchdown apart. A difference of just two targets. He, like Claypool, also only caught 55% of the passes thrown his way, which is not great. But big, strong, fast, and productive. Maybe you take a, uh, a shot at him even with that less than spectacular catch rate. Quintez Cephas out of Wisconsin had a bit of a rough weekend. His 40-time tanked his draft stock, but there are some other red flags. His catch rate relative to the rest of the class is not great. He only had 9.5 yards per target as well, relatively uninspiring numbers. I've seen K.J. Hamler out of Penn State linked to the Packers numerous times. I think he's too small no matter what he runs in the 40-yard dash. Yeah, he'll probably be fast, but I think it's you're going to have a hard time convincing me that Brian Gutekunst is going to draft a five foot nine inch receiver. That just doesn't seem like something he's interested in doing. Finally, LaVisca Chenault out of Colorado, another popular mock draft target for the Packers. Long injury history, toe and shoulder surgery before the 2019 season. Still pretty solid hands, a 68% catch rate, not too shabby there. So where does this leave us? Threw a lot of numbers at you, threw a lot of names at you, threw a lot of combine draft speak at you. What do we actually need to know? What are the Packers actually going to do here? More importantly, what should they do here? So I've narrowed it down. I was going to try to do nine. I got it to got it to eight, then realized I forgot a, a name. So we got it up to nine. We got nine because we start with, with Lamb, Ruggs, and Judy. I think those are all no-brainer picks to me. They're not going to be there when the Packers pick at 30. So let's just put them in their own tier and kind of forget about them. Those are the three best guys. The Packers should probably take take any of them if they're available. Right behind them is Justin Jefferson for me. Perception-wise, he seems to be a step below the others. But if he's the next best, I'd take him. Probably unlikely that he's going to be there. But hey, he's athletic. He's productive. He catches everything you throw at him relatively big guy. What else you want? That seems like a good fit for the Packers if they're interested in adding receiver talent. Denzel Mims is also up there for me. The drops bother me, but that size speed combo is hard to beat. Now, 
Ask how that side speed combo has worked out for Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Okay, you've got a good point there. But Mims also has great agility numbers. And uh, hey, can't be perfect. Next up, kind of a tie, Devin DuVernay and Antonio Gibson. Sure, non-traditional prospects, but I think there's a lot that they could add to the Packers here. Gibson is kind of the running back version, and DuVernay is kind of the wide receiver version of essentially the same player. A thick-ish, more slot-focused, productive, reliable wide receiver with pretty good testing numbers. I've said the Packers need to diversify their wide receiver group for a long time now. Brian Gutekunst hasn't shown any indication that he is interested in that. Still, if he is interested, these would be two pretty good options. Finally, I'll finish out by saying I would like either Michael Pittman or Chase Claypool. I don't know if I want him in the first round or the second round or when, and it doesn't really matter. This sort of evaluation that we put together kind of brought together names from all over the projected draft positions. First round guys, mid-round guys, guys that may not get drafted at all. I don't really care where the Packers take a receiver. I think they just need to add some. These are guys I'd be interested in seeing them add. Pittman and Claypool, two big body guys. If you're going to stick in the Gutekunst mold, either of these guys seem like, like pretty good options. Pittman was productive, but not necessarily as athletic. Claypool was super athletic, but not as productive. Still, I would probably take either of them in a pinch. And ultimately, I think I just hope that the Packers add at least one wide receiver in the draft next month. What do you think they should do? Who are your top wide receiver prospects? Let me know in a comment on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, wherever you happen to be listening to the show. Let me know. I want to know your thoughts. Am I completely off base here? Probably. I've said it again and again that draft draft stuff is not my strong suit, but I'm trying to get better. And I think this is a way that, that I think we can do that coming together in sort of a systematic way. Let me know what you think. I'm interested in your thoughts at receiver too. That's all I've got for you on this episode. If you like what, you, what we did here today, Take a second and share this with someone you think would benefit from it and ask them to subscribe to the show. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to us. Give us a like. Wherever you are, subscribe to the show. That'll help grow the tent here for more more listeners because that is going to help us further our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.